still a bunch of lovable loonies. Five stars on iTunes. I persuaded a few of you to uh, review our podcast on iTunes after the Christmas issue of the Wiggly Podcast. So here it is. You didn't tack, didn't you? I did. I went for, yo, Scrooge, give us a review. <laughs> I mean, that is quite kind, because you it know works. what I was secretly thinking? <laughs> order! 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 So you live in New Zealand. Don't you think you should send your friends flowers in the UK? Yeah. So you live in California. Do you not think I can post goat socks out there? So you live in Hay on Y. I can personally deliver. Order! 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 But no. How much would it cost me to order a bouquet of flowers to be sent to my friend in New Zealand? Is that achievable, do you think? It's easy for a New Zealand person to order a bouquet of flowers, a wiggly bouquet of flowers for their chums in, or family or whatnot in Blighty. Yes. But... Oh, well, so you'd have, to, or, you'd have really? to do into flora, wouldn't you? Yes. And it wouldn't be the same, though, would it, then? It wouldn't be would anywhere it, it wouldn't near be, the it same. It wouldn't be the beautiful it, quality it, of, it of the wiggly It wouldn't be the seasonal... Could, this is a red letter moment in my life. Do I have get? seen Ricardo. Fill your eyes show it up again. There <laughs> <laughs> we are. We're at the end of the first week of January, and the old codger has done something that could be construed as commercial. <laughs> what a star! <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> why is there, why is there everyone? You're not alone. I mean, everybody does seem to be calling me old uh, and codger, commercial. Git. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm not any. Well, I mean, you know, obviously I am 40 now, but I, I have to. I don't feel old. I have to. <laughs> I have to mention my equally elderly friend and colleague, Mr. Sherlock, who I think uh, summed up your status quite admirably <laughs> in terms of yeah. elderliness, stiffness, and various broken bits of body <laughs> and dysfunctionalness. Yeah, I'm not stiffness. sure how old Simon is. How old is Simon? Do you know? Older Mr. than you, Mr. Sherlock. Older than me, <laughs> but uh, indeed, indeed. Anyway, wiggly sales still on, Rich. Right. Bargains. Right. <laughs> when anyway, did you finish again? Twenty <laughs> fifth of January, two thousand and ten. Uh, I don't mind when you listen to this. In fact, any January you listen to it, imagine you might have got a sale. Check out the website www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. Right. Press buy on items. Fill in the long number in the middle with a security code on the back. We're happy. Going back to Simon, did he tell you about his goings-on with the master composters? Because he's, he's trained to be a master composter now, hasn't he? Did he he did tell me. Congratulations, yeah. I think Simon. he was flying the flag for Wigglies as I well. I think he was. So, good old uh, boy. Yeah. There's lots of those about now. I right. don't know why you didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I remember I was, them inviting I was, you. I was, well, I, I as said, should I, should I go as to a if. master composter? And the, and the woman said, I don't think you need to. Hmm. I think so Ricardo. I was, I was Ricardo for a day was, off. <laughs> Ricardo <laughs> was concentrating on that nice young research assistant yeah. at the Worm Charming Championships. I think was probably the issue there. Moving on, it's, here's my review by Wildlife Services. It's been a while, sadly, since I listened to the Wiggly podcast, but I'm pleased to hear that it's lost none of its infectious humour, light-hearted banter, and general silliness. 
interspersed with interesting snippets and facts and delivered as always with Heather's wonderful giggles I look forward to hearing more from the Wiggly team during 2010 now my Wiggly free state has ended at last Martin cool nice coming up on today's show we're going to find out from Richard where are you to put that nest box up nest box week starts 8th of February it's secretly too late isn't it do you think 8th of February. Mm. Uh, It's probably probably okay. I mean, but the the interesting thing about nest boxes is that we put them up thinking that they're specifically there to house a brood of of birdies, you know. We do. The reality is that nest boxes are also really good winter roosts. So I wouldn't say, well, you know, leave it until the middle of February to put them in nest box purely so that you get some tits nesting in there in the springtime. You know, get their nest box up as soon as you can because especially when the weather's like this, what people have found is that you'll end up with nest boxes inundated with tiny little feathered forms because it gives them an opportunity all to bundle in together, especially tight family groups like long-tailed tits, for instance, and wrens where they'll just merge and they'll all find one suitable place and they'll pack in there together so they can enjoy each other's body heat. And nest boxes are able to provide those opportunities. But wouldn't they like a perch? Because my chickens like to perch. When they roost. Hmm. It's not necessary with little songbirds. You know, obviously some birds prefer to nest in different situations. So, for instance, you know, we've talked about Leylandi hedges before now as being relatively invaluable for wildlife, which is absolutely true. But they they do roost in there, don't they? Because of that density, you know, that thick form, they do make ideal roosting spaces and you will end up with birds getting into that little tight-knit bed and roosting. of hedge. I know they don't have leaves on in the, the winter time, but if the hedge is large enough and it's got all different species and it can be quite dense, they'll go in there and roost a tree. Definitely. They? What about and, ivy, um, Rick? Ivy's a fabulous thing. And of course, ivy now, if you go out, the whole country is essentially white, very cold, and is likely to remain so for quite a long time. Now, ivy is one of the, the, the amazing instances in nature that contradicts other plants. So it's providing fruit when everything else has gone over. So most plants, you know, throwing their berries up autumn late autumn early winter ivy is burying now right through to the early spring arguably this is a time when when birds need more fodder because in actual fact if you look around in our hedgerows and things like that i've noticed even the disgusting tasting berries off the gilder rose and things like that have gone yeah a real indication that birds are needing to stuff their faces as much as physically possible just to stay alive when it's bitterly cold like this. The last so few years, and ivy's a brilliant roost as well, isn't it? Yeah, so. but I, I mean, I was going to say, is the last few years I've noticed that most of the choice berries have gone off the hedges before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the hawthorn berries and the holly berries, you, know, you go looking for holly at Christmas, wanting you know, holly with berries on, and that's all disappeared by then. So that can only mean that the birds need food. So as you say, ivy Definitely. berries and anything else. But ivy, I mean, ivy's a great, and it's, it's kind of much maligned. You know, people think, oh, ivy, it's going to go, go up that tree and completely throttle it and kill it. In some instances, it, it will do that. But the reality is, it's often quite nice if you've got sufficient trees or a couple of trees in the garden. Let that tree be inundated with ivy. You know, that wonderful big ivy knoll that will allow things to, inverts to hibernate inside it, as well as to allow roosting sites for little birds. Perfect. So fruit, then... I mean, we do sultanas, and they go part of the wiggly worm mix, but should you be putting out apples, pears? Apples are great at this time of year. In the old orchards, which are diminished somewhat, 
what you will tend to find is, is there, there's very little to beat the sounds that are associated with those old orchards, that kind of clacking of the field fares and the red wings, you know, that are feeding on all the fruit that, that's fallen off those big old trees. There are I mean, certain types of apples. For instance, there's a, there's a, there's a classic apple, uh, Ashmead kernel, which I, have to, I know I've talked about previously. You can use it as a dessert apple, but it, th- that tree tends not to fruit until quite late on in the year. So you can pick those apples off the tree in December. Now, it's worth planting trees like that that fruit quite late on in the year. So have a kind of sequence of fruiting almost, so that it provides opportunities for birds to feed right through. Other than that, why not pick some of those apples earlier on in the year, wrap them up in newspaper and store them, you know, store them in bags and then just keep chucking out a few apples. And I Do know, like uh, again, a commercial opportunity for oh, you have. Just a minute. But you, 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 dun, you, you still do those apple feeders, don't you? With a, we do. With a neat little apple shape and a oh, spike through that. We do. There's only a couple of quid, isn't it? They are. They look good, and equally, you know, <laughs> no, it's a fabulous not. little uh, not little, money, they're oak. <laughs> <laughs> little uh, little uh, little spike through, and it, and what that does is elevate the the apple, keeps it off the ground, and consequently, it won't rot as fast as one would if it's on the ground. Do they like them rotting, or do they like them fresh? They like them maturing. They don't like rotten apples. Do can you put things out like bananas? I have no idea. I'll let you know. <laughs> here we are. Here is a review of our raisins bananas. by Sue Suzman. Not a great name, isn't it? Blackbirds can't get enough, particularly in winter. Bird feeders are geared for flight birds, but seed mixed with raisins is a great way of feeding ground birds. Right. Happy with that? No, definitely. And of course, it does give them lots of lots of moisture. You know, when you look out there now, you think it's all kind of very snowy, and the the last thing you think of it is is it being dry. But of course, it is dry, isn't it? Everything's frozen. There's very little moisture. The air's dry. And so fruit is need, another need, way of getting water. They can't drink. The other day, I gazed out of my window and I, I looked across on, on our little hedge in front of the house there, which is um, pretty much inundated with ivy, and there was a song thrush drinking the frozen water that was melting in the early morning sun off of uh, some of the uh, some of the ivy leaves, and it you know, just goes to show that that bird needed that liquid drink, and that was that was where it was, was getting it from at that time in the morning. But if you can, it's always worth. And we've talked about it lots of times before. But yeah, a little bowl of water is all important. But of course, sultanas are obviously going to have and raisins are going to have much more moisture in them than dry mealworms, for instance. I mean, fresh live mealworms are ideal. But dry mealworms have very little moisture in them. The other great thing about dried fruit, for any of you who have stolen raisins and sultanas from your mother's cake-making department, they're sweet. The sugars in them are partly broken down, so they're a real good energy hit for birds first thing in the morning. Their energy, because it's straight sugar, they can use it straight away. There's very little digestive requirement on it, whereas if you eat carbohydrate, they have to digest it to break it down into the sugars, so that... That is another benefit of feeding things like raisins and sultanas. Okay, Rich, you've only got three types of food to feed the bird. You can't muck about. Three best things for brekkie in the cold. Okay. What do you think? I would say fat 
with seed mixed into it. Suet like suet. That's really good. Blocks. You know, a suet blocks are really or good. I mean, if you fat. get those giant suet blocks, they're ideal because you can whop them on a bird table and you essentially forget about the thing for a couple of weeks. When the weather's bad like this, you know that the birds are going to have a source of food that they can keep coming to, to in and fro in. And you know, just this time, your bird tables, your feeding stations are inundated because there's very little of anything else for them to find to eat. So definitely those. I would say something like sunflower hearts, again, are really, really good because, again, full of fat, nice bit of moisture, and certainly quite tasty. And no work in taking off the shell. No. <laughs> That's right, Because I hate those darn Indeed. nuts. We didn't have any for Christmas because it's such a palaver, isn't it? No. <laughs> Clicking them, getting all the shell off, you know, we need ease of use. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, have, we didn't have any nuts. Now I, know, now, I mean, thirdly, what people tend to feed, the most common thing, there, there are, you know, I mean, in fact, we've, we, just, we still provide peanuts, but ultimately we thought about trying to get away from providing yeah. as many peanuts because it's not something that Phil can produce on the farm, you know, it has to be imported, but they are a really good source of food. So I'd be torn between... Yeah. Uh, providing the, the birds with a couple of feeders full of peanuts or possibly um, cooking up some porridge oats. Oh! Get some oats. And bird feed oats are going to be possibly less expensive than your, than your classic bag of Quakers. Doubt it. From who knows where. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. But, you know, uh, just... Cook them up, cook really? Up. When you cook up some porridge in the morning, cook up an extra dollop for the birds because they adore it. Really? And it's, and it's going to be much, much easier for them to digest it because it's already been cooked and but the milk. to a certain extent. Or it, don't you have milk it, in it's, yours? It's, a little bit of milk wouldn't be a problem at all, but I tend to make my porridge with the majority of uh, water. You of course, because you're a little so splash tight. It's not the too much milk isn't very good for you anyway, is it? You know, you don't want to. It's got mucus and things like that. Again, for humans, I think. So it's too uh, much it, milk. And it's isn't also very fattening, isn't it, Phil? Which is why you, you like tend to drink uh, too Rich, much. Next I suppose review. you're going to tell me that beer is the ne- the world's healthy drink. <laughs> drink beer, not milk. <laughs> too much milk is it's like anything, Phil. Too There's much, a special review for you here. Right. Okay. This is a a review. From Fred Gray. Fred says, I'm off to work and I'm missing listening to your weekly podcast. Just finished downloading old episodes to keep me happy. Got a Bakashi starter pack for Christmas, opened it early and have filled one bucket. Nearly filled the second one now. Ordered more Bakashi bran and birdseed. My father-in-law got a mixed lot for Christmas. He lives in Galloway and has red squirrels that he feeds every day. Lovely sight to see the young ones in summer as they scramble all over his feeders. Miss you all, especially Phil. <laughs> From Good Fred. man. From <laughs> Fred. Thank you for that. That's nice I of you to say so, Fred. Feel like that, definitely. Pick the bones out of that fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and our last review is from Mike the Bee. What I like about this is he did it on Christmas Day. We like reviews on Christmas Days. So this came, as, as Heather said, from Mike the Bee. If you search the web for Wiggly, then several will appear, but this one is unique, and I reckon it's the best. Heather and her team tackle topics from soil through worms and into tea. Just listen to the tea special and laugh, I nearly fell off the turkey. Well, it's Christmas morn here in England, but I thought I must wish Team Wigglers a Merry Christmas, all the best for 2010, and this long-intended review is the excuse. Who would imagine tea tasting could be so hilarious? It was mentioned that the brew was strong, 
but intoxicating it was. Some bits a bit rude, a huge dose of innuendo, and more giggling than wiggling. A great antidote to any winter blues. Cheers to you all, Mike the Bee. Thank you very much indeed for that, Mike. Excellent. I, I'm not sure about praise for Ricardo's innuendo. No, I it was a bit you don't need to do that. And <laughs> if you want more information about bees and Mike the Bee, if you go to Twitter and follow Mike the Bee, you'll find him there. If you want to follow us on Twitter, obviously, Ricardo, you're not on there, are you? No. Cannot make 140 characters relevant. I think it's rubbish. I am on Twitter and I'm at Wiggles. I love Twitter. Farmer Phil's on Twitter and he is at... Farmer Phil with no E. And you can find us on Facebook. Go to Facebook and then search on Wiggly Wigglers. We'd love to see you there. Or come and comment on the blog. That'd be nice. Listen, Rich, you went off to the RHS. What were you doing, old boy? Oh, gosh. That was a while ago, wasn't it? Hmm. Um, the RHS Gardens Wisley, nonetheless. Just before Christmas. I think it'll probably be halfway through December now, isn't it? I went down because a while ago, we've, t- we've spoken about this on the podcast before, English Nature, now Natural England, started up a forum for gardening for wildlife and they have uh, meetings biannually. And this was the, the rounding up of 2009. So I went down there and, uh, and liaised with a bunch of people, did a little spiel about how Wigglies could potentially work with other organisations, things that Wigglies do that other organisations can do and liaise with um, and I did a got a, a cheeky little interview with a with a chap called Brett Westwood, who's worked for BBC Nature for quite a long time. So I managed to get him for three minutes. Quite literally, I said, hey, "Brett, can I speak to you for, th- for three minutes?" I said, "As long as it is just three minutes." So obviously, uh, I had to be concise, which involved. Not He's a Radio very much. Four presenter, isn't he? Radio Four presenter. Yeah. Oddly, he knows and sat next to a chap called Hugh Cordy, who um, who I've spoken about before who I spoke to several times before I went to Guyana, because he, was, he, he went to Guyana, and, and it was his radio programme that, uh, that gave me the inspiration to go to Guyana, looking for Farapama Gigas a few years ago. And he's from Stourbridge. Right. There we are. Let's have a listen. So it's, it's a pleasure to meet you, Brett. We were talking about a kind of a mutual uh, acquaintance you worked with or have worked with down at uh, BBC Bristol. But what are, you, what are you doing down here? Well, I'm making a programme at the moment about how valuable wildlife gardens are. And I think the thing about them is we want to try and sort of look beyond the garden and look at habitats further beyond and how they influence things that come into our garden. So if you have a park up the road, then you'll probably get nuthatches or tawny owls. Right. If you've got nettle nets nearby on a local canal or railway siding, then you'll get small tortoiseshells. It's not just about what's in your garden. It's really about what other things can bring into your garden. Your garden's a fulcrum from lots right. and lots of different species. That was an interesting point you made earlier on, in fact, as well, that it almost you know, it can be slightly ephemeral in terms of providing opportunities for, for specific types of wildlife, but ultimately that is equally as important as, 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 as a space that's, that's there for the long term you know. Well the woodcock that came into my garden is obviously never going to spend its time there for very very long because these are birds of high forest but the nice thing about it was it obviously pitched down, it could have come just in from Scandinavia because they come in you know, this time of year, October, November, we get large numbers coming in from the Nordic countries and it just pitched in and it yeah. saw this wooded cover, sat there for a bit maybe a cat frightened it and that's why I saw it going through but it provided it with a bit of rest 
respite. And, and yes, you're right, it's not all about communities, it's about these transients. Well, look at look at the swifts that breed under our eaves all the time. That's a bit of Africa in your root yeah, space. Yeah, I know, it's incredible, isn't it? And what, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I would feel and, and do feel privileged when animals absorb the refuge that my, my house and garden can, can offer them. But your, I notice your garden is very rich. There's, it's, 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 it, there's a lot of variety going Untidy, on. Untidy, I think, was the word you were groping for. I mean, how big is it? Uh, it's about 120 feet, but it's only about 20 feet wide. So, so it's, it's long and narrow. It's a relatively sort of average garden then, I very, suppose. Very, very average. Yeah, and it's right in the middle of town. But the nice thing about it is um, it's part of a long-standing system of gardens. So all houses were built round about the 1870 period. They're all about the same time. And, of course, they've had lots of changes over that period. But there's a sort of degree of continuity gone on. And I think it's that nothing's ever really ever been cut back. It's not like clear felled forest. Somebody somewhere has always been growing something of interest. And this combination, this sort of patchwork, matrix, if you like, of lots of different microhabitats, that's what makes it so rich. Wonderful. Thank you very much. It's lovely to speak to you. It's lovely to meet you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Cheers. Well, Rich, that was fantastic. Brett Westwood. Excellent. And you were concise, Rich. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, Farmer Phil, you've had your first calf born this year, and normally that would be a moment of celebration, but... Not good this time, I'm afraid. that Premature, about a month premature, we think. Was born alive, was obviously not right in terms of... Uh, it was bleating all the time and all floppy. Got some warm colostrum. Lambs bleat, cows don't bleat, do yeah, they? Yeah, calves, calves that bleat persistently at birth, usually there is something, something wrong. dire gone wrong somewhere. Hurty, hurty bleat. It's difficult to know, I think. Not wired up right. Anyway, month premature, very small. Got some warm colostrum in, in as much that that's the best thing you can do you'll give it the best chance like that but no I'm afraid he only lived for two or three hours so not a very good start to the campaign. What happens to a dead calf? In our case we take them to the hunt kennels. And then the dogs eat them? And then they're fed to hounds yeah. It's a bit odd isn't it? Are they cooked? No. Mm. You know people wouldn't realise that that was uh, that was the case you know again it's one of those things about uh, whilst I don't necessarily agree with hunting per se I'd probably agree with banning it even less because of the implications, uh, you know, the, the ripples it would make across the, the wider countryside. And it is a good use of resource to be Absolutely. able to, to use that poor dead animal to, to feed a bunch of dogs that enjoy the, the tasty bit of veal than they would <laughs> pedigree chum. Would farmers feed their own um, dogs with that then? I mean, presumably... You couldn't, because you, your, your calf, first of all, you feel a bit funny, but second of all, it would last forever. Well, hunt kennels are set up to deal with the whole carcass, so that you obviously have to skin the carcass, you have to take oh, the offal away yeah. from it, and you've got to dispose of those bits that you're not going to eat. Now, obviously, a farmer is unlikely to be able to do that, although some have got incinerators to do just that now, but the kennels by law, now have to have the means of disposal of that. So that's one good reason why farmers wouldn't tend to do it themselves. And, of course, we have to do something like that because the government have told us that we're not allowed to bury anything anymore. We can bury Granny, but we're not allowed to bury a dead Only calf. if she's no. dead, Phil. Yeah, well, only if she's dead. Oh, I'll tell you what else we can bury. Yeah. We can bury a pet. Yes, that's um, right. Can you tell me a pet, pet horse. What, 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 uh, what, what, what makes a pet? What's well, I don't know. You can bury a horse. Wait, because you're it's not going to eat it. Volumes. Ah, if you volume. only had two cows, could you bury one of them? 
Well, I think if it was a pet cow, yes. It was a pet cow. So it was something you were affectionate towards. 40 cats. uh, 40 cats. It's difficult to know, Hev. I, I noticed this wasn't this wasn't in Hilary Ben's plan for no. 2030. No. Anyway, we must move on. Michael says, just for your information, it's now snowing gently in the south of France. Is it really? It is snowing gently in the south of France. Right. Global, we are. Global, we are. Yeah. Listen, before we go, Michael's got a problem with his nest box. He's put up one north-facing as stated on the Wiggly website, and the Wiggly website got its information from the RSPB, Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. How could they be so wrong? He's put one up facing south-ish, one up north-ish. There's none in the north-ish. He says it's our fault. Ricardo, which way do we point the box man, and how can it not be in the shade if you point it to the north? Well, we've talked about this many times. We've had a great conversation Well, I don't care. I want to know. The reality is that a nest box should face somewhere between north and south-east, so away from the prevailing conditions, because what uh, the so birdies don't want is loads of rain. West. Not, not facing south or not facing southwest, but like anything in nature, there are always contradictions, and sometimes if a bird box is facing southwest in a situation that has some protection from those potentially problematic prevailing conditions then there's every chance a bird will colonize that, that but this is mad isn't it because the thing is when the north wind does blow we shall have snow true so the prevailing wind, wind is southwest but yeah. the bird is nesting in the middle of winter <laughs> no, well, what, tends, yeah. <laughs> what tends to happen is you tend to get fewer north winds than you do but they're really bad winds. so you've you've protected and, and it the, the, and then the, the north wind is yeah, blowing. you tend to, you tend to get uh, the north wind does blow more in the winter yeah than in the spring and early summer right. say for instance and as i understood it that broods were lost through overheating yeah if you put the nest box so that the sun shines on it all the way through the day so facing south exposed to the sun yeah it cooks them. You see, this is it, and this is again <sighs> where they Now, Michael's put his nest box up on the back of his house, or, or the, well, I'm assuming it's the back of the house, the, 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 the part of the house that faces north. Just a minute, dear always listener. Always in the whoa, shade. Whoa. Dear listener, we will now look towards Michael for a nod. It's actually on a north facing wall, which is a neighbour's garage. Okay. That was not a nod. Either way, is that legal? It's in the shade the whole of the time. Is that right? Yes, because it's on the north. If you're going to point it north, it must be shaded by the building to which you've attached it. Right. Now, it would seem that further RSPB advice is that bird boxes that are perpetually in the shade are not good. Is that right? That's my point. However... Again, there are contradictions. On the north side of my house, I have put two bat boxes. Some time ago, I put two bat boxes on either corner of the little cottage suggestion house. Now, those bat boxes have both been colonised by blue tits. The blue well, tits that'll be because the holes underneath year. are it's the protection. all the time. So never, ever gets to it. So they, they obviously have enjoyed, and they've, they've had chicks, and they've enjoyed those those little spaces, regardless of the advice 
that the uh, the RSP listen to you see the problem is you can't you can have, there are no hard and fast rules with nature but here there is, there is the problem no I'm that. now on the RSPB website no. here is the problem listen to this right unless there are trees or buildings which shade the box during the day face the box between north and east thus avoiding strong sunlight and the wettest winds but then it says make sure the birds have a clear flight path without any clutter Tilt the box forward so that any driving rain will hit the roof and bounce clear. Place your box high under the eaves if it's for a house barn starling, but for a robin and wren it needs, <laughs> it needs to be low down. Hide your robin and wren box in vegetation. But it said you needed a clear flight path. Woodpecker boxes need to be three to five metre high on a tree trunk with a clear flight path and away from disturbance. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you want to see? Just, you see. just there, put tons up anywhere that's, that's, is fine. That's, that's, I think it's important to make sure they're facing in the right direction, <laughs> i.e. <laughs> northern side. But, um, yeah, it, uh, a variety of situations is really useful because then those guys will be able to choose which one suits them best. You know, going back to Phil's point earlier, you know where you said about the a bird box being placed in a really hot situation well I put a, a nest box for tits up several years ago on a telegraph post just below the vegetable patch it's on a south facing slope gets very hot all day those blue tits had several successful broods the only reason I removed that nest box is because Mr Woodpecker came along and nailed the, <laughs> the bejesus out of the, out of the hole and managed to get in there and, and get some of the chicks. And I, so I took the nest box down to make sure that those tits didn't nest in there the following year. What I could have done uh, was place a little metal cover over the, over the top of that wooden hole. Available from wigglywigglers.co.uk <laughs> for a very small price. Yeah, right. I think the logical thing is that if you can, you should plant a mixture of vegetation in your garden, so trees, hedges, normal garden plants, and use them to provide the shelter for the nest box wherever it is so it doesn't get blown away, cooked by the sun or whatever, and they will also provide food for the birds that hopefully you are luring to your garden. Just a minute, Phil. It also says, remember, trees grow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Handy hints for the day. (laughs) Thank you, RSPB. And just before we go... All our Wiggly Podcast New Year's resolutions are coming to play now because you know what it was. To make sure we introduce the team. To make sure that the new listener feels part of our podcast from the very start. He always knows who we are. He always feels a welcome glow. So we'll start next week. In the meantime, I was Heather. I was Richard. And I was Farmer Phil. Still am, actually. <laughs> and you can find us all by emailing us... Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk PWG at lowerblakemere.co.uk And if you want to find more out about Wiggly Wigglers, you'll just have to go to the website now because I haven't told you anything. <laughs> www.wigglywigglers.co.uk Bye. Bye. Bye from me.
Just listened to the tea special and laugh, I nearly fell off the turkey. Well, it's Xmas morn here in England, but I thought I must wish Team Wigglers a Merry Xmas. All the best for Say 2010. Christmas, I don't Sorry. like Xmas. I'm only reading it as Yes, but you know, but that's short for Christmas. Why is X used to abbreviate Christ? Save typing Christ. Yes, anyway, what's the relevance, though? Duh! <laughs> <laughs> it's a cross. Rich, oh, it's Rich. a cross. OK. <laughs> as, so, <laughs> as we all know, Rich is a keen texter. On something, I, yeah, something I... Uh, <laughs> something I perhaps ought and, to have known. As we've also known... Uh,